Thank you very much, uh, Praedi. Uh, greetings to honorable members and welcome back uh, to our first uh, committee meeting. We hope that uh, you have uh, rested well and continue to do your work as uh, members of parliament. We are also joined by Honorable Kunelwald uh, and Honorable, uh, Honorable Melda. Morning to the minister, uh, the deputy minister, the DG, and the entire workforce of the uh, Department of Home Affairs. Morning, the, uh, I've cited uh, Commissioner uh, Love and the team of IEC who are present here. I think uh, they will do a proper introduction when we, we request them to do so. And morning to our staff members uh, of parliament and all those that are serving at Home Affairs. We are today going to receive a, a presentation of the bill, as you know, that uh, the Constitutional Court has given us a time frame to respond to this, to this uh, uh, bill on electoral reform. The minister has been on the ground interacting with various stakeholders to interact with the matter and introduce the bill to parliament. The bill has been, since been uh, tabled in parliament on the 10th of January 2022 and referred to the portfolio committee to further interact and consult so that we come back to parliament and make recommendation on how we must move forward with the, with the electoral reform. We're going to interact, give this opportunity to the minister, the, D, the DM and the team to present as the agenda as outlined and also give an opportunity for the minister to comment on the private member's bill that was uh, presented by Honorable Reporter in our committee meeting. And then after on the two, on the both the presentation and comments from members, we'll then outline a process on how we're going to engage moving forward on this uh, uh, bill. We hope that members, uh, both the minister's team and honorable members will be focused on the issues that will be raised so that we utilize this opportunity and time um, to exert our clarity on the areas that are going to be presented on. We're also welcoming those that are participating, uh, our media component, on this important uh, discussion on the electoral reform. I'm going to invite Mr. Matonsi to give us uh, apologies and also introduce uh, our staff members from Parliament who are here and then invite the Minister of Home Affairs to introduce his team and also invite uh, 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 the IEC. Um, Mr. Matons will guide me if the chairperson, uh, Commissioner Machinin is here, but I recognize Commissioner Elaf. They will guide us, introduce the team. The IEC is here just to listen to the interaction and the presentation of the, uh, the, of the minister and the team. Mr. Matons? I chair, thank you. From on the apologies from members of the committee, I only have got Miss Lefase who's in the meeting at the moment, and then uh, she's going to leave at 10 o'clock. That's only one apology. In terms of the staff that is attending the meeting, we do have here uh, from Parliament Legal Service, we have got three uh, legal advisors. One is Mr. Sivuen Jikela, then the second one is Mr. Elana Hali. The two are going to be assisting us on the issue of uh, 
the minister's bill in terms of giving advice. Then the third uh, legal advisor is Ms. Daksha Kassen. I'm sure members are familiar with her. She's going to be assisting us with the issue of the uh, private member's bill. Then uh, from the state law advisors, we have with Ms. Suraya Williams and Ms. Sarah Govender. The two will be assisting the committee in providing advice on the minister's bill. And then um, the other colleagues is uh, the researcher, uh, Mr. Takamile Fungwani, Adam Salmon, we are familiar with him. The content advisor, we've got Nangipa as well. We've got another colleague, uh, Mr. Dolan Ranto, from the Select Committee on Security and Justice. is here because uh, this bill is to go to the SOP at some stage. Uh, I think that's all chairperson from my side. Thank you, Mr. Matunsi, for the apology rendered and introduction. Mr. Matunsi, are you talking? No, I'm done, Chair. I'm done, Chair. Okay. Okay. Is there any other apology members who must uh, note? Thank you. Minister, you, you are invited to introduce uh, the team and also the, uh, the IEC. Minister, Mutolid? Yes, good, uh, good morning, uh, uh, Chairperson and uh, members. Uh, compliments because I assume uh, the portfolio committee is meeting for the first time this year. Thank you very much. I hope you are all refreshed to start this work, which definitely is going to need all our energies because we must finish it within as, as short as short a possible time as possible. Chairperson, I will introduce the, the DG uh, 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 who will introduce the staff from the department. From the Electoral Commission, yes, we've got the Deputy Chair of the IEC, uh, Ms. Janet Love. I will also leave it to her to introduce a team. So can I start with the DG, who will also introduce the legal team of the Department of Home Affairs, I mean the Senior Counsel and his team who are going to present to us today. TG, please, I mean DG, please. Good morning, uh, Chair. Greetings and uh, uh, compliments uh, to the members of the Portfolio Committee uh, as well. Uh, from the Department of uh, Home Affairs, and good morning to the Deputy Minister and the Minister uh, as well. Uh, so from the Department, we're joined by the following DDGs. Uh, DDG uh, Jackson McCain, responsible for uh, immigration. Uh, DDG uh, Tulani Mavuso, responsible for institutional planning and support. Uh, DDG Thomas Sigama, responsible for civics. And uh, DDG uh, Advocate uh, Constance Muizzi, uh, she was responsible for uh, counter-corruption and security services. And then our CIO, uh, Mr. Ntlantla Mabaso, uh, responsible for information uh, services. And then uh, we also have the chief director responsible for strategy, planning, and uh, policy, Mr. Sitle Tiani. And then from uh, the ministry, um, Mr. Muzi Njokwe, uh, who's uh, joining as well as a parliamentary liaison officer, Eddie Makua. And then uh, the Chief of Staff, Mudupi Maisela Kamkuli. Siakosa is the Minister Spokesperson. And also we joined the Chair by uh, the new Chief Director for Communication at uh, Home Affairs, Mr. Bongi Guala.
uh, who's just joined us. And then uh, there's uh, a team that's led by Advocate Stephen Butlender, uh, Senior Counsel. I'm not sure if uh, you are there, uh, Senior Counsel, maybe just for the Portfolio Committee to see your face, Advocate Sin, uh, Stephen Butlender. Good morning, DG, and yeah, good morning, that's Stephen. Good morning, committee members. Okay, Stephen is morning, joined morning, by morning. Uh, two, uh, three junior councils, um, Fundo Zana, uh, Michelle Dipie, and uh, Salume uh, Manganye. They've been working uh, quite hard with the senior council around this bill. I'm not sure if they are also uh, online, just to uh, show their faces as well. I know some of them are going to join late. They had uh, they had other commitments, but would join late. But they're all aware of it. Thank you, DG. So that's that's Michelle. All right. Thank you, Minister. Uh, that's the team from our side. And back to Chairperson. Uh, Thank you, Thank you uh, Minister and the DG. Um, Commissioner Love. Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson, and uh, good morning to you and to the other honourable members. Um, also, good morning to the Minister, the DG and the team and the legal team. Um, on behalf of the Commission, let me also uh, wish everybody the best for 2022. Um, I want to just uh, convey, first of all, the apologies of uh, the chairperson and the other commissioners. Uh, we are, um, I'm accompanied today by the DCO, DCO Shiburi, um, the CEO and the other commissioners and members of the commission are currently engaged in a meeting which has been established um, to take place for some time. Um, and so I convey their apologies, but obviously we will be feeding back to them anything from the meeting. Thanks, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Love. Um, Minister Braedi. Uh, uh, we are now going to invite the Minister to introduce uh, the, the presentation and he will delegate uh, 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 to the team if uh, necessary. Then we'll then after have interaction with the uh, comments uh, from members of the committee, and then we'll go to the uh, other item to deal with the comment from the minister on the private members bill presented by Honorable Lukota. Minister Mtualil. Um, sorry, uh, Chair, before the, uh, the minister comes in, can I just confirm that the presentation is being displayed? It's Adam here. Yes, 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 Mr. Adams. Thank you. Yes, yes. Thank you, Ms. Thank you, Adams. Yes, thank you, minister, can proceed? Yes, thank you very much, Chairperson. And once more, thank you, members of the Portfolio Committee, the IEC, the leaders of political parties, outside the portfolio committee. Thank you for this opportunity. Chairperson, as we have already said, I made this presentation to a full portfolio committee on the 7th of December, 2021. And I provided information to you about two issues. The Ministerial Advisory Committee report, who constituted the, uh, uh, the Ministerial Advisory Committee, what was their report? Uh, 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 and, and the second thing, uh, the electoral amendment bill. I presented the features of it and how it is going to work. At that time, when 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 that happened, the 
office of uh, chief state law advisor had not yet uh, certified the bill, uh, but on the 2nd of December, they provided the legal opinion on the constitutionality of the electoral bill, and subsequently it has been certified. So that hurdle, uh, 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 we've gone through it. I mean, we've gone over it. The bill has been certified, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I heard the DG saying the team here from the Office of Chief State Law Advice are also here to put clarity on issues. And as it was said, on the 10th of January, 2022, I introduced the Electoral Amendment Bill to put the National Assembly and National Council of Provinces by right to the speakers and sending the bills to them. What is left is for this committee to take the bill and run with it. And I believe today's process is to start that. Just to recap, can we go to page six of this presentation? Because I can't repeat the same presentation. Just to recap where we are, where we were. Can we go to page six and skip all the other things, papers and all that? Yes. You will remember, if I have to recap, that uh, I presented to you that uh, the Ministerial Advisory Committee presented to us two options. What is called the minimalist option, uh, whereby uh, we modify the existing multi-member electoral system to accommodate independent candidates in the national and provincial election without many changes in the legislation, including not interfering with the constitutionally required uh, general proportionality. That's what the minimalist option means. The other option uh, uh, which was provided to us was uh, uh, the first past the post and proportional representation, making it a mixed member proportional uh, system, re representing exactly what is currently happening in local government, where we, we have got uh, constituencies, which we call wards, but we also have proportional people which are sent by political parties. That's what is called a mixed member option. Of course, this one will be done with some improvements over what a uh, local government is doing. Now, I told you we took these options to cabinet. Cabinet chose the first option, the minimalist option. And that is the option I presented to you, if you remember, uh, 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 on the 7th of, of December. Now, in that option, I went with you through how the, 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 the country is going to have regions which are the present provinces, which will be multi-member constituencies, where a lot of people will stand, both political parties and, uh, and, and independents. And I went on to show you how we determine the seats by allocating the seats in three tranches, whereby the first two tranches are for the independents, and the last one is for uh, political parties where we use a group method and uh, I presented that to you. Uh, then from there, I told you that uh, the bill exists, which will actually show these things in the form of a bill. And I showed you at the end that this whole option entails a consequential amendment of the party funding bill, which has just been in operation from last April, if I'm not mistaken. That party funding bill is forcing us to consequently amend amend it to be in line with the Electoral Act Amendment, when we amend uh, Act Number 73 of 1998. Now, Chairperson, I don't think I should go through this process again, which, which I've shown you in numbers, how we allocate the seats, 
Here today, I think we need to deal with issues uh, that are, are, are sort of uh, sticky points of debate, which I'll do, especially when I deal with the bill uh, sent by uh, Honorable Lugota. The sticky points are the issues of the court judgment vis-a-vis membership of independent in the National Council of Provinces, NCOP. The second sticky point is about uh, 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 the, the allocation of votes in the two tranches, whereby if you are an independent, after you have reached your quarter, the other votes won't count, just like it's happening in local government now. As far as the votes are concerned, you are aware that independents who win a award, their votes are not necessarily going to count when we do proportional representation seat. This is what we have proposed, and some people were sort of questioning it. Uh, those, I think, as far as I'm, I'm concerned, are the main uh, 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 sticky points which needs to be devised, I mean, which needs to be dealt with today. Now, at the end of the presentation uh, by Advocate Butlander, I'm going to come in and try to give the differences and the similarities between the bill presented by Honorable Lugoda and this bill presented by the, the, the Department of Home Affairs. But for now, I think in order to take the process forward, Chairperson, this presentation on the screen is exactly a repetition of what I presented to you uh, 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 on the 7th of December. It's, that, it's just that it might be presented a little bit differently. If you move to page 14, for instance, can you move to page 14? Yes, I demonstrated to you exactly how the seats are going to be uh, 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 going to be allocated, making use of what happened in Gaudi in the previous elections. The number of, I mean, the population, the number of people registered, the number of seats as determined by the constitution, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think I, I should go through that. Uh, page 15, uh, I think it's more or less the same thing. So what I'll do, let me give to Advocate Bartlender to take you uh, section by section through the bill and show you what is that which they've actually put in the bill. And then from there, I'll come back and show these similarities between the bill, a uh, private member's bill, and the bill presented by Home Affairs. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Thank you, uh, Minister. Um, we'll, at this moment, invite the... the the senior counsel take us through. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Uh, could I ask for the next slide, please? Uh, and and let's let's go forward until we get to the clauses of the bill, please, in the presentation. Thank I you. think you must start, start in page seventeen. Yes, thank you very much, Minister. Yeah. Uh, so this is uh, the presentation of the overview of the bill. If you could go to the next slide, please. Um, and the amendment of the bill really does two things, and perhaps I can just give an overview. Obviously, it produces for the first time the ability for independent candidates to run for the National Assembly and the uh, uh, provincial legislatures. And I'll take you through how that works in a moment. But as a consequence of that, various consequential amendments have got to be made regarding forms and time periods and definitions and those sorts of things. And I'll take you through those as well. So if we could go to the next slide. 
Uh, you'll see that it provides for the nomination of independent candidates. It provides for the requirements and qualifications that have to be met by those candidates. It provides for the procedure that must be followed if there's no non-compliant nomination. If you go to the next slide. Provides for how the inspection of the lists of independent candidates will work, how people can object if they think an independent candidate is not qualified, how the list of independent candidates will be published. It ensures that independent candidates are bound by the electoral code of conduct, just like political parties are. It provides for deposits to be returned to independent candidates if they're elected, and I'll come back to that in a moment. It amends Schedule 1, which deals with the mechanics of the election, and Schedule 1A, which deals with how the seats are allocated. And that's really where most of the work of the bill is done. And I'll come back to that in a moment. So if I could begin with Clause 1. Clause 1 uh, is really the, and I apologize for reading off this other screen, but I need to keep the bill with me. Clause 1 really deals with the definition points. It, it inserts a series of new definitions. Uh, regarding the definition of independent candidate, the definition of candidate as opposed to an independent candidate, a list of independent candidates, province and a region. I don't think I need to spend time on that. If there are queries, of course, we can take them in due course, but I don't think there's anything particularly uh, controversial or noteworthy there. Then clause two, it amends section 27 of the Electoral Act and uh, provides that uh, if you want to appear uh, on the regional list of candidates or a provincial list of candidates, you have to sign a declaration that you are located in the province in which you are running. So let me just explain that for a moment. The approach adopted in the bill is to say that when you want to be elected from, let's say, Gauteng to the National Assembly, in other words, on what we used to call the province to national lists or what are now called the regional lists, you need to be living in Gauteng at the time, uh, just as works in the electoral in the local government context where you have to live in the local area concerned. And so section two or clause two amends section 27 to provide for that. And that will apply equally to candidates who want to be elected on those regional seats for political parties and candidates who want to be elected uh, as independent candidates. If we could go to the next clause three, uh, then is just a consequential amendment, and it simply refers back to section 27CA and says you've got to comply with that. So I won't spend time on that. Clause 4 is more substantive. Clause 4 is the clause which makes provision for the first time for the nomination of independent candidates. And what it does is it inserts part 3A in chapter 3 of the Act, and that includes sections 31A, all the way through to sections 31F uh, of the Act. And if I could deal with each of them briefly in turn. Because what we're doing here is we're explaining the, or setting out the basis upon which people may be nominated as independent candidates. The first thing I would draw your attention to is in section, no, no, if you could leave it on, uh, on the previous slide. Thank you so much. Uh, the first thing I would draw attention to is that in section 31A, which would, is a new section which was in, in, included, it would require that in order to run for a provincial legislature or for the National Assembly, you have to be located in the province in which you are running. You have to be ordinarily resident in the province in which you are running, and you have to be registered as a voter in that province. And that, as I say, is consistent with the approach that Parliament has already taken in the local government elections. Uh, 
Section 31B then deals with the requirements, and this is all under Clause 4. Section 31B then deals with the requirements and qualifications for independent candidates. I would just draw attention to a few aspects. The first is that um, there's obviously a problem if there are too many independent candidates. Let, let's say, for example, there were 200 or 300 or 400 independent candidates running in a particular province. You're then going to have a ballot paper that is going to run to 300 or 400 entries, many, many pages, which is hugely expensive, but also uh, potentially very confusing to the voters. And so there's a need for appropriate thresholds to be set. Again, just like in local government, before you can be nominated as an independent candidate, you have to meet certain thresholds. And what the bill provides is that you will need to, comp you will need to obtain a minimum number of signatures and a pay a minimum deposit. And the way it works is that it's left to be prescribed by regulation what the minimum deposit and the minimum signatures will be. And that, of course, is regulation by the Electoral Commission, because the Electoral Commission makes regulations under this Act. There will also need to be uh, various other declarations confirming that you're qualified to stand, that you're not prohibited from standing. And one which is worth drawing attention to is the one at 31B3, section 31B3F, which says that there will need to be a declaration that you have not been a member of any political party for at least three months preceding the date of the nomination. And the idea behind that is the principle that if you want to run uh, as an independent, you shouldn't be associated with a political party. The whole point of the constitutional court judgments is that people should be able to run without being associated with a political party. And the three-month cutoff is the idea that people should make their decision well in advance. Are they going the party route or are they going the independent candidate route? The next section as part of clause four is section 31C. You can just, I'll, I'll let you know when to move the slide. Thank you so much. Uh, next, section 31C, which deals with non-compliance, it simply says that if you don't comply with all of these things, you can't be nominated as an independent candidate, and it sets out the process whereby there can be an objection and uh, the chief electoral officer can rule on the objection. 31D then speaks about the inspection of copies of lists of candidates and accompanying documents, and that's simply to make sure that the documents are made available for the public to consider and so that they can lodge their objections. 31E deals with the objection process and says how you can object. And 31F deals with the publication of the lists of candidates. So really what's set out in that clause is what you've got to do to qualify as an independent candidate and the mechanics for going through it. Could I then move to the next slide? And the next slide deals with clause five, and it is uh, an amendment to section 57A of the Act. And it simply provides that uh, the way people will be elected will be from lists of candidates, which means candidates of political parties, and lists of independent candidates. So it's a, it's a small change, but is, is necessary in order to apply the amended Schedule 1A, which is where the work is done, and I'm going to come to that in a moment. Then clauses 6 and 7 I will deal with together. Uh, clauses 6 and 7 deal with the electoral code, as you know, under the Electoral Act, there is a code uh, which all political parties are required to comply with. And uh, this provides that the Electoral Code will also apply to the independent candidates and that the independent candidates must commit to applying and complying with the code before they can be registered. So that deals with Clause 6 and 7. 
clauses six and seven, which amend sections 94 and 99 of the main act. Thank you. So clause seven I've dealt with. We then come to clause uh, eight, and clause eight deals with the amendment of section 106 of the principal act, and that's the refunds of deposits. So as I explained, uh, just as with political parties, independent candidates will have to pay a deposit in order to contest an election. And the way it works under the existing system is that if you succeed in the election, you are elected, then the deposit is paid back. Same here, clause eight, amend section 106 to provide that if an independent candidate is elected, that independent candidate will be able to be refunded uh, that amount. So that is clause eight. Then if we could go to clause nine, clause nine amends section 110 of the act. Uh, again, it is just about the, uh, it's just about the lists and it provides that any mistake in the certified segment or the final list doesn't invalidate the voters role, just as this works with independent, with political parties. So again, it's an attempt to uh, very much equalize and, and put on the same footing independent candidates and uh, political parties. Then we come to clause 10. Uh, clause 10 uh, deals uh, really with the electoral timetable um, and the electoral timetable set out in Schedule 1 and the processes that are set out in Schedule 1. And uh, the, the processes are simply adjusted to make provision also for independent candidates because, of course, at the moment they only deal with political parties. So I won't spend time on the detail because it's really just consequential amendments to make provision for, for that. And then we come to clause 11, which is, uh, as I say, really where the work is done, because uh, the, the members will know that the process for allocating votes and uh, uh, electing members is dealt with in Schedule 1A of the Act, and it's that schedule uh, which has been amended uh, in material respects to allow for independence. Uh, because there were so many amendments, the schedule has been substituted rather than simply uh, uh, adjusting words here and there, but much of, much, of, much of what is there is still consistent with the existing principles. But I will now take you through uh, the relevant provisions of Schedule 1A uh, as amended. So you will first see, and you can leave it on this slide, thank you very much, you will first see, and it, it links, let me say immediately, it links to the presentation that the Minister gave in December last year, and, uh, and the slides which are part of this presentation, which the minister um, flipped through, it explains how that all works. But just by way of brief overview, um, items one through to, items one through to 16 deal with the allocation of seats in the National Assembly. And that is on the basis that the minister explained in the last address uh, and on the basis of the presentation explains, which is effectively there are 200 seats, which are regional seats. Again, you will know that under the existing system, those are what are called sometimes provincial, provincial to national seats. So the way the existing system works is there are 200 seats which are elected truly nationally in the National Assembly, and there are 200 seats which are elected from the provincial to national list. So Pumalanga sends its... Uh, people elected from the Pumalanga list, people elected from the Western Cape list, etc. This will be the same system, 200 national seats and 200 regional seats, which is what it's called to avoid confusion. And those 200 regional seats will allow for independence to be elected. And the way it works, as the minister explained previously, is that everybody will vote. 
there will be a single ballot for the National Assembly in each province, but the ballot might be different in each of the provinces. So, for example, if I'm running as an independent candidate in uh, in Gauteng and Mr. Smith is running in an independent candidate in the Western Cape, then the ballot in Gauteng will have to include my name, but won't include Mr. Smith's name, and the ballot in the Western Cape will include Mr. Smith's name and not my name. So there is at least potentially nine different ballots, one for each province, for the National Assembly. Obviously, the political parties will appear on all of those ballots, but the individuals who are running for election to the National Assembly will only appear on the ballot of the province in which they are running. So we will all then go and vote, and when the votes are tallied up, the votes will be tallied by means of calculating uh, how many seats that province has in the National Assembly, and that's done as, ex- as is the existing practice by the ne- Electoral Commission based on the population, and that will determine the quota that will be used, and you, members will recall the discussion of the quota, so there will be a quota which will be used, uh, and, and we gave the example of the Gauteng Provincial Legislature, but the quota will be used, and depending on how many votes are cast and how many seats, the first round of allocations will be to the independents, once those in, the ones who meet the threshold will be elected, they will then be taken out, including all of their surplus votes. Then there will be a second round of allocations, again, to the independents. Those who meet the revised quota, which will be lower, will again be elected. They will be taken out, as will all of their surplus votes, as will all of the rest of the independents who haven't made the seats. And then the third round will be to the political parties. And that system has been designed to make sure that independents are given a proper opportunity to be elected, but also without disadvantaging political parties, because the system doesn't work to the disadvantage of political parties either. Uh, if the political, if the threshold was 50,000, the political parties will always get one seat for each 50,000 and possibly more, depending on, on how many surplus votes get taken out. And um, it makes use of the existing quota system, which is called the Droop quota. I can go into the details and if needs be, if need, in, in due course, if needs be, But in essence, the point is there are three rounds of allocation. The first to independents who make the quota, if any. The second to independents who make the quota, if any. And the third to the political parties. If no independents make the quota, then of course, uh, the political parties will simply receive all the seats. So that is the way that the the system works in relation to the allocation of regional seats. Uh, the, um, the, The one thing that I should draw attention to Uh, is, well, uh, in fact, I'll I'll come to that in in a moment. Then we come to the provincial legislatures. That is dealt with by clauses 17 through to uh, 17 through to 23. Uh, You can can leave it there. It's all dealt with by clause 11. It's dealt with by item 17 through to clause uh, 24. And again, it's a similar system whereby in the province, There will be a ballot paper for the election to the Western Cape Provincial Legislature or the Northern Cape Provincial Legislature. That ballot will have all of the political parties running for that legislature and all of the independents running for that legislature. And uh, and so if I choose instead of running for national as an independent to run for uh, the provincial legislature, my name will be on that. The same process will be followed. There will be the same allocation, first seats, to the independents, if any make the threshold, then again to the independents and then to the political parties. But again, I want to emphasize that that doesn't in any way disadvantage the political parties because the threshold that will be used will will not disadvantage the political parties. It provides a fair balance 
between the needs to allow independents to be elected, but without disadvantaging political parties. Then item 25 of the clause deals with ballot papers, and it deals with the clause that the point that I've already made, there will be different ballot papers for each province if there are different independent candidates running in each province. Um, items 26, 27, 28, 30, uh, uh, through 31, and 32 are really consequential. They're about the publications of lists, and it simply is, is very much a, a mirror or an adaptation of the existing provisions. Um, item 33 is worth remarking on. Item 33 deals with vacancies in seats allocated by a political party, and of course it allows the political party to allocate a replacement. So if Mr. Kamala was elected by the ANC from its list and Mr. Kamala leaves or dies, the ANC can replace Mr. Kamala. But, if, but then item 34 says that if Mr. Smith is allocated a seat as an independent, in other words, he was elected as an independent and he leaves or dies, then the seat will not be filled until the next election. And the need for that is because otherwise there is the risk of very frequent by-elections and the by-elections, because of the way the system works, would have to take place province-wide. So every time an independent person leaves, you would have to have a province-wide by-election, which would be uh, extremely disruptive and costly. And so in the circumstances, item 34 says that the seat will remain vacant until filled in the next election. And then item 34 just uh, item 35 just deals with certain amendments uh, to the definitions uh, in respect of the schedule. So that then covers uh, clause 11, which amends uh, uh, item which amends schedule 1A. And then finally, clause 12 simply contains the name and title of the act and provides that it will come into operation on the date fixed by the president by proclamation as is standard practice. Uh, Chairperson, uh, Minister, uh, that's a summary of the bill clause by clause, but of course I can answer any detailed questions should the need arise in due course. Thank you very much uh, for the <coughs> summary of the, of the bill um, uh, that you ran on uh, clause by clause. We did receive the detailed brief uh, last year uh, presented by the, by the minister. I'm going to invite members to comment on the on the brief. Um, uh, also, raise questions uh, uh, when they, they, they do their comment. We have uh, honourable uh, uh, chairperson. Chairperson, Minister, I've got a proposal with apologies, chairperson. Uh, for, for members to be able to raise questions, is it not good that they raise them in comparison? I, I'm just proposing, if I'm out of order, please tell me quick, uh, immediately, that I present the comparison and the difference between what the Lekota bill is proposing and this bill, so that when members discuss, they discuss them together. I don't know whether that won't help the, 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 the process. In fact, uh, Minister, it would be best to to deal with them separately okay, uh, because you. you you will be attempted to comment on the executive bill that has been presented at okay, least when you. the members have interacted or comment uh, yourself and the senior council will assist on the responses and comments okay thank you yes uh, well i'm going to invite uh, honorable milda honorable Kronerwald, um, honorable uh, mulekwa honorable was uh, honorable lokota Honorable Kanyile, uh, co-chair of Honor Melvin, Honorable uh, Tito, Honorable Pile, and Honorable uh, uh, Mutise. 
to make uh, uh, questions and comments. Um, uh, senior councillor, I also want just to check. Uh, I, I hear that on at lost, you have referred that uh, once there's a vacancy on the uh, uh, the the new there won't be by-election. I think the reasons are uh, you have uh, motivated. What will happen in the period um, uh, with the uh, the constituency uh, responsible um, if the vacancy is going to be occupied in the next elections? You know, when elections go for three, five years, uh, uh, what will happen? I want to just take us through what will happen uh, with the, uh, the constituency responsible for uh, who have elected uh, uh, Honourable Ross to represent them in Parliament and as an independent. But I get the sense, but I just want to, to empower that uh, that area. In that order, Honourable Melda. Honourable Colonel Vat. Thank you, Chair. Um, Chair, firstly, from my side, uh, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I'm going to very, be very short. I went through all the documentation. And I think what is important that uh, we must comply to Section 46 of the Constitution uh, that actually determines that in the end, if we look at the National Assembly specifically, that the result in general must be proportional and that's what I find in this proposal. And uh, from the Freedom Front Plus side, I want to say that uh, we don't have an objection with uh, the road and can I say the direction of uh, this uh, amendment bill in terms of allow independent candidates also to participate. Uh, they have that opportunity. I am of the opinion that, uh, but that is a debate, uh, not in this committee, that uh, people always think that an independent uh, candidate will be more accountable to the electorate. Uh, I am not uh, convinced that that will be. I know that if you look at electoral systems all over the world, one of the features of, for instance, a constituency uh, electoral system with uh, first past the post. Uh, people uh, think, uh, and uh, yes, it is a feature that there is, in a certain sense, a more accountability uh, for the people. But I also want to stress that you can get right exactly the opposite. For instance, if you have an independent candidate in a constituency, then uh, there is no control over that specific independent candidate. Uh, and I think uh, we have the examples, if we go to our local government elections, I mean, a ward is nothing else than a smaller uh, constituency. And there are many uh, independent candidates in those wards. But that besides that, I want to... Uh, say that the Freedom Front Plus, uh, if we look at the proposals as it is at the moment, we will support it. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Kuhnenwald, for your comments and uh, uh, on the matter. 
Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Let me start by also appreciating the presentation as being presented today. And also, I want to appreciate the team for its daily work uh, and the progress made so far in making sure that we receive this presentation a comprehensive one today. Chairperson, I also appreciate the fact that the committee has made uh, available the option for this PEC to be able to determine which way uh, should uh, be taken in terms of the amendment uh, for the Electoral Act. So I just want uh, the committee or the minister uh, to clarify more uh, for instance, if the portfolio committee can decide or can recommend that maybe the option one is the one to be we should go for. So what will be the consequences and what are the consequences of option two? But I, for me, Chairperson, I think we appreciate the report and uh, welcome the report as presented. Thank you. Thank you, um, Honorable Mulekwa, for your comment. Honorable Ross. Yeah, thank you, Chairperson. Um, Chair, I think, you know, the, the, the challenge, part of the challenge is that um, we've kind of been put between a rock and a hard place here. Um, we, you know, we have four months until the 10th of June, 2022. Um, and today we'll be asked to make a declaration um, on the, uh, on the, the second bill that we're going to consider. Um, but really there's, a, there's still a few things that I believe that we need uh, before we can consider this properly. And the, the first thing is that, you know, we, we, we talk about uh, constitutional or, or you know, constitutional muster and whether one bill or the other passes constitutional muster. Um, my question is, um, has this bill been um, uh, assessed against the uh, constitutional court judgment and the requirements um, by the, by our parliamentary legal advisors or with the relevant legal advisors, um, you know, to ensure that we don't have a legal challenge to it, um, because it's you know we can go through the whole process of uh, of uh, analysing and passing legislation and that and it's it's so contentious that uh, we can we can end up in a situation where uh, the uh, the legislation is then. Uh, challenged against what the Constitutional Court has said. Uh, so that's something that we'd like to see, Chairperson. Um, and then secondly, Chair, I believe we should have the implementation timeframes. Uh, these were presented during 2020 um, for various different options. Um, and, and I truly believe that if, if we need to look at different options uh, as amended and, and which uh, of the options is the correct way to go, um, we, we need to get these timeframes again. We need to see where we are at now um, and how this will be implemented um, within the Constitutional Court uh, deadline. Um, and that includes the Political Party Funding Act um, and the changes to that that would ensure a, a fair election that uh, political parties and independent candidates can uh, campaign on the same financial um, footing. Um, and particularly public participation, Chairperson, I think in previous amendments to electoral legislation, uh, that is something that has been heavily criticized, uh, meaningful public participation. So we're not talking about 
um, putting out an announcement and then persons that have access to the internet um, and, uh, and email and that kind of thing can uh, submit and, uh, and the rest cannot. Uh, this is absolutely critical legislation from a national point of view, from the public interest. Um, and I believe as a committee, we need assurances that we will have a meaningful public participation, um, whichever option is, is taken um, at this point in time. Uh, and then some questions in terms of the bill. I think the, you know, the, the first question is really, uh, you know, looking at the minimalist option, uh, why was the minimalist option um, taken? Because it, you know, it seems like the, the government's policy um, is to try and govern at a district level. Um, but then there seems to be a reluctance to have a constituency level electoral system uh, whereby uh, those representatives can be held accountable at a more local level. I just want to understand, um, you know, my understanding was that this was also agreed at sort of a political level as well as, um, as, as where we find ourselves now. Um, but I, I just want to understand from the minister's point of view, the, the disjuncture between um, how, how the government wants to um, manage the country and on a district level, um, but then doesn't want to align the uh, electoral system to that from an accountability point of view. Uh, secondly, in, in, in section one, we, we, we're talking about a region. Um, I just want to understand why, why are we not talking about a constituency? Is, is there a specific um, meaning to a region and, and using that terminology? And then in clause nine, um, just in terms of uh, provisions, um, are there provisions to correct mistakes um, on the final voters' role that are not, or that are the fault of the IEC? Um, I think we found in the last election that there were uh, several persons that attempted to uh, register, and for what, whatever reason they found, once the voters' roll came out, that they were not on there, and then it was too late. So I want to understand uh, what provisions will be made uh, to prevent this in the future. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Ross, uh, for, your, for your comment. Um, um, Honorable Lukota, veteran Lukota. Thank you, Chairperson. Can you hear me, sir? Yes, proceed, uh, veteran. Yeah, thanks. Uh, first of all, uh, Chairperson, I uh, I would like to ask the question: If the independent candidates, uh, if they pass away, then there's no by-election. How do the, the, the constituents, the people who live in that area, <clears throat> how do they deal with their problems? Already at the present time, if you, look, if you look into our provinces, if you look into our localities, there's a complete neglect of the conditions of life of the people. And so if you have to wait for another five years before you can have a replacement, how do you deal with your problems in the intervening period? I really would like to hear how that is responded to. Uh, we, we hold the view that this clause 
in the Constitution is particularly important because it provided uh, in the Freedom Charter that the people shall govern. And if now, when people have voted, a large number of votes are thrown away. I can say that they are thrown away because they don't, for independence, those votes account for nothing. The people who voted for the, for, for the independence, they, they gain nothing for having voted in big numbers. How do we say the people are equal? Where is the equality clause? Some people will have, will vote for the parties. In fact, this clause is, well, this step of getting rid of votes is very much compelling that people must only vote for political parties. If you throw their votes away, how do you make up to them so that they continue to have a voice that protects them, that enables them to ensure that they can demand attention from those for whom they have voted. I really would like to understand that because as far as I'm concerned, this particular step eliminates equality between citizens. There are some who will have more rights because they have voted in numbers for parties and others who will not have those same rights. I, I think that there's a serious uh, failure to meet the constitutional master here. And, and certainly, very many of us who will uh, come to terms with that must challenge uh, this, perhaps go back to constitutional court and say, no, we are not enjoying equal rights. The constitution is still being violated. Thank you. Thank you, uh, uh, veteran. I have carefully went through the two provisions of the member's private bill and the, uh, and the executive. Uh, it will be interesting uh, when the minister is going to look on the, on the matter that has been raised now. Honorable uh, Kanyele, thanks, uh, veteran, for your, your comment. Thank you, Jefferson, and uh, good morning, colleagues. We are noting the presentation, and uh, however, I'm having just a few questions here. Uh, I think I have been partially covered by Honorable Ligoda, but I also have a, a, a question similar to his with regard to a candidate, that when a candidate resigns or their position became, becomes vacant, not, there's not going to be a by-election um, because the presenter mentioned the presenter mentioned that the costly is going to be is going to be very expensive. So my concern is that uh, does that mean now that constituents 
will have to be without um, a representative for the whole duration of the term because uh, the, the the provincial legislature and the national um national assembly term duration it's actually five years so what if that candidate resigns within the first year so it will mean for the rest of the four years the the, the voters are not going to have a representative i feel like the service delivery is going to be affected and also those members that would have voted, their issues are not going to be escalated properly. Uh, I do believe that we need to find a way to, to look into that. Um, also, there's an indication that if a member needs to participate or wants to participate as an independent candidate, they must have, uh, they must not be associated with any political party for three months or more. Um, I, I think the, the presenter indicated that it will give them ample time to decide on what they want to do. The question that I have is that in an instance where the political party that they are a member of does not want to accept their resignation, what, is, is, what impact is that going to have on their candidate? Another question that I am having it is uh, about, could you please just hold on for me? It is about the deposits that is, is paid to, to the IEC. I want to know that uh, what criteria does the IEC use to determine that the candidates that have won the election, they're going to be paid back their, their deposits and the other candidates that did not win the election, they're not going to be, to be paid their deposits. Mm -hmm. I think those are all the questions that I have for now, Chairperson, and thank you so much. Thank you, Honorable Kanyele, for your uh, contributions. Um, Honorable Fanal Merve. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson, and greetings to you and to um, our minister. And um, it's nice to see all the colleagues again. And thank you very much to Advocate Badlander for his presentation. I'm not going to be very long, Chairperson, because I think um, the colleagues that spoke before me has adequately addressed some of the issues. However, Chairperson, I want to just uh, reiterate what the Honourable Ruiz had, had mentioned. I'm, I'm not quite sure with the four months that is left for us to, to process this bill, um, how we will actually do justice to, to this mammoth task that lies ahead. Because firstly, the public comment period will only finish uh, or will close at the end of February. Then we still need to on, embark on a public hearings process. And I assume with this bill being such an important bill to, to the public and to South African citizens at large, that we would need a lot of time to be able to process uh, these public hearings um, in order to be able to do justice to this project that has been put before us. And um, considering that the bill will have to come back to us as a committee where we will have to deliberate on the uh, changes or suggestions of, of South Africans at large, I just do not see how it then goes to the National Assembly and to the NCOP within a four-month period. So I would really like to ask, what are the implications with regards to us not meeting this four-month deadline? Will we have to seek a court extension? And also possibly the, the implications of that on the 2024 elections, because at the end of the day, if we don't meet uh, the court deadline and we have to seek an extension, um, you know, these, these changes that we're seeking to make will not be an overnight process. So it might not then um, allow independent candidates to stand in the 2024 elections. But maybe, um, yeah, uh, that's just a, a comment and maybe a question if the minister wants to um, 
answer to that because at the end of the day, the public participation process will be very important. We need to be guided by South Africans as to whether these amendments that we're putting before them are what they want to, to have or not. And there's already been some issues with regards to the perceived fairness of this amendment bill. Chairperson, um, yesterday, for example, I heard some commentators suggesting that what we are seeking to do is to keep um, big political parties in power and only accommodating independent candidates by simply adding them and not giving them a fair chance to compete. For example, if you look at the issue of money, um, et cetera, you know, money is the milk of politics. It will be difficult for many independent candidates to compete against political parties. So we really need to take the issue of fairness and equality very seriously here. So I also wanted to ask the question in terms of region. Um, I want to ask currently, um, how is the term region currently understood? And, well, the region must, the issue of region must be clarified. Is it currently defined, it's currently defined as a territorial area of a province? And how does it differ from a ward council or a constituency? And how is the term region currently understood in terms of the current system? Is it interchangeable with the term province? And if region means a province, um, will all provinces or regions be allocated the same number of seats? For instance, will the Northern Cape, which has a population of 1.2 million, be allocated the same number of seats as Gauteng, which we know is a bigger, much bigger province? So please can I, um, be given more details in terms of how um, we will allocate these uh, regional seats. And then also, I think, Honourable, um, I, I think the two issues around the discarding of the votes and an independent candidate resigning or, um, you know, leaving office is an important issue. Because firstly, I did hear the minister in December saying, you know, the issue of discarding votes is an international practice that happens everywhere. But you see, in our context, with, with every vote counting and every vote being of such importance um, coming from where we come as a country, discarding votes at the end of the day might have a, um, might influence the fairness of the election. In other words, the outcome of the election might not be the will of the people. So we need to, we need to find a way in terms of how we will deal with the issue of discarding votes. Is there not another mechanism? In other words, where, where these votes can be transferred to another, another independent candidate, or I'm not sure what, what the solution will be, but in spe specifically also with regards to an independent candidate leaving office or, or, die, or passing on, it can't be that that seat remains vacant for, uh, for such a long so I think those two those two issues are something that we need to consider. And of course, I want to really, you know, emphasize that I, I do not see how we do justice to this process in four months. Thank you very much, Chairperson. No, thanks very much, Co-Chair, uh, for your contributions. Honorable Tito. Honorable Tito. So thank you very much, uh, Chairperson, um, and greetings to all members. Chair, firstly, I think it's important for us to commend and congratulate the work that has been done. We have come this far, um, and we're able to present what has already uh, been completed. However, there is a process that needs to be followed. And for me, I think it's important for us to see how we take this process forward. Um, and Chair, I want to propose that we, we get cracking with that, especially because we are limited in terms of time and how we can now open that process up for public consultation um, and to be able to then get inputs. Um, and, and obviously we'll cross that bridge when we get there. I think that we must be able to continue the work 
that we need to do. And if by the second or third month, we see that we are still having a challenge, then we can be able to deal with it. But right now we still have four months. And I think it's important for us to, to get work done. But yeah, I want to comment uh, very particularly in terms of uh, the surplus votes, votes being cast, uh, sorry, discarded uh, or votes being transferred. I think it's important to first understand uh, what is independent and, and, and what defines a, an independent candidate. It's one person. It's an individual that contests the space as an independent candidate. If the individual or candidate wanted to contest the elections as a political party, they will then form a political party or they'll get all independents together under one umbrella that forms a party. In this instance, it's one person contesting the space. Hence, you cannot take votes that was cast for that individual to anybody else, be it another independent, be it another political party, because the will of the people was that the vote was cast for that individual. For example, if I was an independent, the vote was casted for me. My votes then cannot be given to I think somebody is interrupting my... Thank you very much. Yeah, proceed to Honorable Pile. Thank you very much. Yeah. So if if I was if, if that was my the, the view of my constituency or people who wanted to vote for me as independent, it meant that they cast the vote for me only. It, I can't then just say that the votes must be given to anybody else because they didn't want to. If they wanted to, they would have voted for somebody else. So in the same instance, after you meet a threshold of getting a seat. There's nothing else that can be done with your votes because it can't go to anybody else. Hence the reason for that. And I think we've we've gone through this, we've discussed it. And Chair, I want to propose that we must now move. Let us agree as a committee what the timelines are and what is the process that we're going to take uh, in the next few months and how we're going to then implement um, uh, the plan that we have in terms of, of the rollout. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Honorable Pili, for your... Uh, uh, your comment and contribution. Honorable um, Modise, Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Let me take this opportunity and appreciate the Senior Council uh, for the work that they have done with the, the team which is led by the, the, the Minister. Having had uh, uh, developed this important bill, we know that um, we would have had limited time towards the end of the year to finalize it uh, up to a, a process that led to the publication of the bill or the uh, presentation, presenting the bill to, to parliament. So let me take this opportunity and appreciate the team. Indeed, we have come this far. It is a fact, and I think we are all concerned with regards to the time frame. For me, uh, uh, there is a, a great need for a broader consultation uh, with these amendments uh, uh, to the public. And that would need us to have sufficient or adequate time to afford the public to participate and make comments so that we as, uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a committee are, are then be able to uh, deliberate on the issues and, and get guidance from the public. So indeed, the four-month time frame, it is worrying. I would want to suggest uh, that we probably need to, to get a council from the legal team of parliament with regard to the legislative processes of undertaking the bill 
uh, or the processes that come uh, thereof uh, with, with processing the bill so that we can then start weighing our options as, as, as this committee on with regard to the, the time frame that we have of June uh, to complete the, 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 the process of, of the bill. We, it, we all agree that we, we really need to engage uh, the public and thereafter will be also need to afford the IEC to do its work post the adoption of the bill by parliament. Uh, 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 therefore, my suggestion, um, as um, uh, the latter speaker would have uh, uh, mentioned, uh, uh, the co-chair Lizelle, that the, the four-month time frame might not be enough we still do have an, an option of approaching the courts with regard to that there's, there's limitations. We cannot approach the courts after we've, uh, 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 or at, at a short notice. The courts will not afford us an opportunity to, or, or in a postponement or a, an extension. If we would want to wait up to the last minute, it would seem as if we are really as instead do not want to process uh, this bill properly. So I would suggest that as soon as possible, we need to take a decision as a committee on, on your way forward on how we move. But of course, we do not need to now start considering a, a, a requesting an, an extension without embarking on a process. So we need to start with the process and, 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 and continue and do work whilst we also are weighing our options and whilst we get counsel from the legal of, of um, parliament. Uh, I, I do not have comments on, 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 on the bill itself. I think members would have sufficiently asked uh, questions uh, or, or, or seek clarity. My concern also is the fact that I strongly feel that it's an important bill and it needs to be taken to the public and we do not need to have a um, a very short time embarking on that process. It will really need time. Uh, therefore, we need really to look into that as a committee. Thank you so much. Thank you, Honorable Mudisemta, for your uh, contributions. Um, I've earlier on invited uh, Honorable Tito. Um, I think she was not on the line. Uh, I'm not sure if she's back before we get into the uh, responses and comments from the team. Honorable Dito. Okay. <clears throat> I'm going to uh, invite the team to comment and respond to the issues uh, that have been raised by members. Uh, and in the main, I think it's way forward on the issues that uh, you need to uh, respond to. Um, the other matter which I'd advocate, uh, perhaps you may need also to add in your response, is that you have two houses, um, the NSOP and NA. And how are we going to deal with this uh, uh, process of accommodating the independent? You know that uh, the NSOP um, delegates uh, and nominated by provinces. So I wanted your impression around that with the minister in terms of the issues that uh, are arising. We're going to invite, uh, if there's a comment uh, from IEC, uh, I know they're here on the observer status because they still have to interact with this process uh, post the, uh, the adoption of the bill. Um, if there's comment, they can come in and then I'll invite the advocate, um, I'll invite the deputy minister, um, and I'll invite the minister to also comment 
and then we we will close. Um, Commissioner Love, is there any comment or you want to observe your status? Chair, thank you very much for that. Um, I, there, I don't um, think that we have um, uh, specific comments in relation to what has been said. There was one question that was directed um, expressly to the IEC, which is um, how the IEC sets the threshold of refunds. I think I, just on that, and I'm sure Council will then also weigh in, the IEC doesn't at this stage, the legislation provides for the, the fact that the IEC must set a threshold, and clearly how that would apply to independence is something that would arise much later on. But it's not that the IEC itself has criteria. The legislation says we must set a threshold for people who do not reach that threshold, who then forfeit their deposits. But if they go beyond that threshold, they get the deposit. It's just a question that we have to set the threshold, which obviously at this stage we haven't done because we don't have legislation on the basis of which to, to be informed. But, Chair, I think that's the only question directed specifically to us. I think there are many others that for clarification, which um, we'll also be eager to listen to. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Love, uh, for that uh, 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 comment. I'm going to invite the advocate, the questions that have been, uh, or comments that have been made, and then uh, we'll invite Deputy Minister Nzunza, and we'll invite the Minister uh, Mutualedi. Um, if there's a, any sort of uh, legal team, we have to also invite them of Parliament, uh, just to make comments there and there. Um, advocate? Thank you so much, Chairperson. Um, perhaps I could just clarify, I will only deal with questions obviously relating to legal or constitutional questions. Any questions about policy considerations are not for me to deal with, they are for the department or the minister to deal with. But if I could deal with them, there are a number of legal or constitutional questions, and if I could go through my notes. The first question that arose, uh, not, not in this particular order, but a question that arose was the use of the term regions. Let me start by explaining that when one speaks about a region in this context, one means a province. Uh, there, there would be nine regions, because as uh, Member Van Amava indicated, uh, the region is defined as having the same territorial area as a province. So there would be nine regions. The, that is the way, in fact, the current Electoral Act works. It speaks about nine regions. And the reason that it uses the term regions, and we've done the same, is to avoid confusion between regions or provinces electing people to the National Assembly, on the one hand, and uh, provincial legislature elections on the other. So that's the only reason we use the word region instead of province. Um, and there are nine regions, nine provinces, just as is the state under the current act. And in relation to the question that was posed, which is how do you determine how many seats are allocated to each region? Uh, that is determined in the bill by item four of schedule 1A, which says that the commission must determine a fixed number of seats reserved for each region for every election of the National Assembly, taking into account available scientifically based data in respect of voters and representations by interested parties. And that's precisely the same as the current 
provisions uh, of Schedule 1A. Um, uh, it says that the Commission determines. So it's not that the Northern Cape gets the same as Gauteng or the same as KwaZulu-Natal. It will be determined on, the, on a population basis, effectively, by the Commission on the basis of the latest data available. Then if I could move to the next question, a number of questions arose in relation to the question of vacancies, where a seat becomes vacant. Let me start with the practical difficulty. From the practical difficulty, we don't understand how there is a practical solution to the vacancy. And let me just explain why again. Assume that, assume that the province of KwaZulu-Natal elects three independents, and at the end of the first year, one of them resigns. Then you run a new by-election, uh, and six months later, you elect someone. But a week after that, by fluke, the second one resigns, or the second one passes away. Then you've got to run another by-election. Then the third one, and every time, you've got to do it province-wide. In other words, the whole province would have to vote. And so we don't see that there is another practical alternative. And I note that although uh, the Honourable Member Lakota has, 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 has questioned that, his bill seems to adopt the same approach, as I understand it, in item 24.4, which says that a vacancy of an independent candidate will remain unfilled until the next election. So it, it might be unfortunate, but it is a consequence of, of the way this works, practically. In relation to the question, Mr. Chair, that you and others posed about constituencies, I, I do appreciate the problem. But on my understanding, and, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, Constituencies are a practical arrangement arranged by the National Assembly. They are not a legal requirement. And, and let me explain why that matters. As I understand it, if a member of parliament, Ms. X, uh, is given the constituency of Kimberley or the constituency of Southern Cape Town, that is simply a practical arrangement by parliament, very importantly, to make sure that that constituency has a connection to a particular MP. But because it's just a practical arrangement, then what that means is that if there is an independent who dies or who resigns and the vacancy occurs, Parliament could deal with the matter practically by allocating two constituencies to one particular MP or by allocating half of the vacant constituency to one neighbouring MP and half to another neighbouring MP. So because there is no legal requirement for constituencies, because it is simply a very important and salutary democratic practice, it can be dealt with at a practical level, and, and it doesn't need to be dealt with here in my assessment. The third uh, overarching issue that was raised was the question of discarding votes. Um, and, and, and let me repeat, if I may, from a legal point of view, what the minister said in December. It is correct that in any system, and let me emphasize, even in our system, votes are discarded. So if we think about the old first-past-the-post system, where you've got a, a pure constituency and um, five candidates run, and one candidate receives 90% of the votes, well, 40% of those votes are effectively discarded because he only needed 50% to be elected and the 40% of the votes are unnecessary and are effectively discarded. Similarly, the 10% that went for the other candidates are discarded. So in a first-past-the-post system, there is always the discarding of votes. Similarly, in our current local government system, votes are discarded in exactly the same way. If you vote for an independent candidate and the independent candidate gets in and got more votes than he or she needed, those votes are discarded. But lastly, even in our current National Assembly system, Let's say that the threshold for votes in a given election is 40,000 votes per seat. And let's say that the, uh, let's say that the ANC wins uh, 100,000 votes. Well, their first 40,000 win them the first seat. 
the second 40,000 win them the second seat, and the other 20,000 are discarded. So I accept that the discarding of votes happens to a greater degree here, but it is only a question of degree. Uh, and, and that's because all systems involve the discarding of votes. And, and it does seem to me, strictly from a legal point of view, that the point made by Honorable Member Pillay is correct. And that's the way I've thought through it in understanding the constitutional implications. If a person makes an election to run as an independent, then they are held to that election. I'm choosing to run as an independent, and the most number of seats I can win is one seat, because that is the whole notion of an independent. If I want to form a political party, I must go and form a political party and call it the Stephen Budlander political party and have other people with me. But if I want to run as an independent, the maximum number of seats I can win is one. And if someone wants to vote for me, if my junior uh, Mitchell De Beer or Salome Mangani want to vote for me, they are voting for me knowing that the most number of seats I can win is one. So if they vote for me and I win the seat, even if I had more votes than I need, it's hard to say that the will of the voters has been thwarted because my choice was to run as an independent and I got my seat. And their choice was to vote for an independent to get me a seat and I got that seat. And so their will has been respected rather than being violated. And so from my point of view, I don't see that there is a constitutional difficulty in that score. I can understand the argument, but I, I don't think that, uh, that it, 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 it is correct. Then Chair, if I could mop up a few other points. Um, the question raised by uh, the Honorable Member Grunewald about whether this is consistent with Section 46, and, and I agree, there does have to be a requirement of consistency with proportional representation, and this, in, in my view, does. Uh, Honorable Member Roos asked the question whether this had been assessed by the parliamentary legal advisors for constitutional compliance, and the answer is yes. We had an extensive session with the uh, parliamentary legal advisors on that score, um, uh, uh, the, the Office of the Chief, Chief State Law Advisor on that score, I beg your pardon, the Office of the Chief State Law Advisor on that score, and, 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 and that has been assessed. Um, Honorable Roos raised the question about mistakes on the voters' role, and is there a way of correcting it? That is not an issue that is addressed by this bill because it doesn't arise from the question of independent candidates. And I don't want to comment on whether the bill, the, the previous act and the current practice is adequate or inadequate. It's simply not something that we've addressed because it's a separate issue from the question of independent candidates. So if, uh, if the honorable member thinks there's a problem, it's not one that's addressed by this bill, but it's also not a difficulty created by this bill. Um, and then um, uh, if I could just check, uh, Honourable Member Kanyile raised the question about what if a political party prevents the member from resigning. I don't understand in law how a political party could ever prevent a member from resigning because political parties are voluntary organisations. They might be able to expel you, but they can't prevent you from resigning because the right to freedom of association also includes the right to dissociation. And so one can always leave. Um, I think Commissioner Love has addressed the question of the criteria for paying back. And then um, finally, Chair, uh, you raised the question about the National Council of Provinces. Um, there is no requirement for independence to be catered for in the National Council of Provinces. Uh, and you will see when you look at the Constitutional Court judgment, it speaks specifically about independence in the National Assembly and the provincial legislatures and makes no reference to the National Council of Provinces. And in fact, when I looked at it, when you trace the provisions regarding the National Council of Provinces, how delegates are selected from the provincial legislatures. It's all done on a party basis. Now, that's not because of the Electoral Act. 
That's because of the constitution itself. The constitution itself specifies that it must be done on a party basis. And so there is no requirement uh, or even any possibility, constitutionally speaking, of independence in the National Council of Provinces. They can be represented in the legislatures and in the National Assembly, but not in the National Council of Provinces. Thank you, Chair. I think I, I hope I've covered those all, the, all of the questions. Thank you very much, uh, Advocate, for detailed responses on the issues raised by members in the comment. I will invite uh, Deputy Minister Njabul Nzunza uh, to comment. DM. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. And uh, I would like to follow suit with other colleagues and uh, greet everyone and uh, welcome them to the new year. It's our first portfolio committee for the year. And I hope that we are going to work very hard and very well together towards making sure that we meet our, object our objectives as well as our obligations. Well, I think the first issue is that we can all agree as a portfolio committee that uh, quite good progress has been made uh, with reference to this bill and with reference to the uh, constitutional court judgment, which is what brought us to where we are today. And uh, on the issue of uh, extension of timelines, which is the first comment I would like to handle, is that we have, uh, as a portfolio committee, always agreed that we have to show commitment that we are not going to sit back and then go and apply for extensions. We will do our work to the best of our ability, to the best of how we can be stretched. Only then when we see that we are really not going to be able to make the timelines, we can then start applying so that we are able to display to the courts that uh, we did our best, but the timelines were short and it was sort of impossible. I think that kind of an attitude, uh, like Honorable Malebo was saying, will really help us a lot. On the issue of uh, discarding of votes for independence as well as their issues of resignation. I don't think you will want to create a situation where you will have uh, political parties that will masquerade as independence. Because if you start saying you can transfer a vote of an independent to another person, it means you are literally having a situation of a list of independents that will be subject and then they will contest as a group and then as such there will be uh, votes that are given to other people. I don't think that would work. If a person contests as an independent, they are an independent and the votes are for that particular independent. And I think if you look in terms of uh, local government elections currently, the when we calculate for proportional representation, what you call SPR votes, already the votes of independents that are gathered from the what are subtracted from the entire formulation. So it is something that is already happening. And uh, on the questions raised by Honorable Ross, I do not remember at any given moment in time that we will have skipped necessary processes in processing bills uh, of parliament. What we have always done is to make sure that we go for public participation, make sure that legal units are consulted. We even get certificates for these bills so that they are clear they not to have been in, in, in uh, that they are, they, are, they are consistent with the constitution. So I think we'll continue doing that. I don't think there will be anything uh, that will be extraordinary there. It's a process that we've done with all of the other bills, so we'll stick to that. One issue that I suggest we must also do is to advise uh, Parliament in terms of its management and the office of the Speaker. That this, this bill might bring some changes in how we manage 
the affairs of parliament. Just a typical one, the issue of how we handle debates and the allocation of time so that they can be able to start you know, preparing their own systems to be in line with the bill so that when it becomes an act, they will have already uh, fine-tuned some of the issues. I would like to stop there for now. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Deputy Minister Njabulu. Minister Mzolil? Minister Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. And I think a lot of <clears throat> questions have been clarified by both uh, <coughs> Senior Counsel and the Deputy Minister. The question from, I mean, the uh, 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 comment from Mr. Kuhnewald is, is, is noted and appreciated. And uh, I'm sure he, he, he will also agree that is, there's a lot still to do in the bill in order for it to be understood even by members of the public. Same as the, the issues of Honorable Maleba, who, who is asking about consequences of either option one or option two. The consequence of option two is that if you look at it in totality, if, if we take option two, we must immediately forget about any changes in 2024 because it's going to take a long, long, long time. Last night, one of the members of Ministerial Adversary Committee, uh, Dr. Mpede, the political scientist at the University of Pretoria, understand he was with a former leader of DA, Musima Iman, debating this issue. And she gave an example that changing electoral system takes many, many years, and gave an example how uh, in Australia, they, they started something, some discussion in, in 1982 and, and are only implementing it now about the electoral reform. So something to that effect. So these issues have consequences. The minimalist approach, the consequence is that we stand a better chance of meeting the constitutional court uh, uh, ruling. By the way, both of them, even if we started doing public hearings or whatever uh, uh, 24 months ago, or 18 months ago, it, it, it will still have come to the same thing. Now, uh, the question from Honorable Ross about whether the bill has been subject to constitutional uh, uh, scrutiny by Parliament, Advocate Badlander has answered it, but I also want to add, on our side as Home Affairs, we don't deal with constitutionality from Parliament. Uh, it, it, we deal with it from the Office of Chief State, Chief State Law Advisor, as I've already informed you. Any bill that comes to Parliament must come with a certificate of the from the Office of the Chief State Advisor, which said we have ch checked the constitutionality of this bill. It is not against the Constitution. And I've just told you that on the 7th of December, when we came to you, we did not have such a certificate, but we ultimately obtained it from the Office of the, state, the Chief State Law Advisor. And I'm happy to hear from Advocate Butland that, that they have also... A, a, a consulted the parliamentary legal uh, uh, system, and they too believe that it's, it's not unconstitutional. Now, why was minimalist option taken? That's a question from Honorable Rios. I've partly answered it, but I also want to uh, take Honorable Rios to the presentation that we made uh, early last year by the Ministerial Advisory Committee. 
we emphasize that the ministerial advisory committee, before going on to their job, they adopted 10 principles. And coincidentally, these are the same principles that were adopted by the Fanslabet Commission some uh, 20 or so years ago when they were dealing with a similar uh, issue. In fact, it's more than 20 years ago. When they were dealing with a, 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 this, this electoral reform, they adopted 10 principles. The same 10 principles were adopted by uh, the Ministerial Advisory Committee under Honorable Varim Musa. One of the principles is inclusiveness, which says South Africa's electoral system should yield a broad representation of South African population demographic, ethnic, racial, and religious diversity. This remains a significant value 27 years after apartheid. The demarcation of constituencies must not enforce apartheid special patterns. The second one is the issue of fairness, where there must be uh, 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 equal votes from every individual. Then the issue of simplicity, which advocate Butlender also spoke about in a way by referring the, to a, a, a ballot uh, box, I mean a ballot paper, I mean to say, with uh, uh, hundreds and hundreds of names which will eventually uh, confuse the population, they will, they will simply not participate and will throw lots of votes away. That's where a lot of votes will be thrown in. If a voter gets into a ballot uh, booth and is given a whole book because there are 300 uh, 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 independents in there, that is not a simple system. Then accountability, which we all know what it means. Then the issue of gender equality. It says Section 9 of the Constitution enshrines the right to equality. The MEC should avoid selecting a system that will result in a reversal of gender equality. The I say, Chairperson, even though I know I'll be contested, it is but the truth that when you look at the local government elections, in the world system, parties are unable to balance gender equality. Go to lots of political parties, you'll find that a lot of women came through the proportional representation. They are not represented in the world because it's not very easy. In this patriarchal society, where we are still fighting to change patriarchy, where a person, a, a woman is, is elected as a ward council. There are women who are ward councillors and they've done very well. But all in all, if you look at the system, most of them are uh, uh, accommodated at the, I mean, at the party list system because of the society which we have become, which was still many years uh, from actually changing. Then there's issue of proportionality in terms of section 46, uh, uh, 1D and Section 105 1D of the Constitution, proportionality in province and in National Assembly, respectively. Then there's an issue of effective participation of independence, where we want independence, uh, whether we pay a lip service or want their effective participation. That's why we are forced to consequentially change the uh, funding act, because uh, uh, we want independence also to be funded. Then there's genuine choice. Is there a genuine choice on what the, the, the electorate is doing? Are they given a chance to choose between a political party and the person they want? And the issue of sending votes to somebody doesn't give genuine choice because you are coming back door through somebody's voice. That's not what an electorate will have chosen. Then the issue of effectiveness, then the issue of legitimacy. All these 10 conditions are the ones which informed us. Which system is more or less next to these uh, 10 principles. 
and, and so we don't have reluctance to go to the constituency system is because of that. Uh, now, uh, uh, the issue of region has been explained. And uh, Chairperson, you know you intimidate me when you appear on the screen. And uh, my, my papers get mixed. You are very intimidating. No, no, no. I, thought it's my, I thought it's my right to... Be, because of the power you, you hold. <laughs> no, no. Yes. Continue, Minister. Yeah. No, no, no. Let me go to questions by Honorable Lugota. Honorable Lugota, I was listening to see you attentively because I also want answers. I thought you'd provide them. On this issue of throwing uh, of... of, of uh, 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 an independent that passes on. In your own bill, Honorable Lukota, you are exactly that. There are two similarities between your bill and ours, which I'll come to. And one of the similarities is this issue, that you are agreeing with us that there is no mechanism of replacing an independent candidate who passes on or who, who, uh, or who retires or who resigns. But I don't think, uh, colleagues, this is a disaster where you say the, 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 the constituency will remain alone. Remember, in the Home Affairs Bill, this is a multi-member constituency. And I'm also answering Honorable Kanili that the constituency is going to be empty for five years. It can be because it was not like a hot system now where you are represented by one person. And that's why it's easy to go for by-election because there was only one person and the world is very small. Here, it's a multi-member constituency. Whether you take the Department of Home Affairs bill, which say the whole region or province is a constituency, there'll be lots and lots of people there. Even if you take the Lukota bill, he is talking about 52 constituencies, which amount to districts. They are still multi-member constituencies. So it's not like a world, what you are talking about here. And I think uh, that must be taken into consideration very seriously. There will be representatives, only that there won't be a representative chosen by one particular group of people, which we don't know yet because we can't identify because it's a secret ballot. But there will be representatives and, and a senior counsel uh, advocate, but has tried to show how people can be catered. And I want parliament to be innovative in that regard. Otherwise, you must just simply say yes. We must run election on every single day a whole provincial or a whole district election. That is a decision that this portfolio committee and parliament ought to take. Uh, uh, the issue of rejecting a, a, a candidate to resign has already been answered. And the IEC has already answered their part. Honorable okay. Father Melbe, uh, the issue of how, how we're going to work within four months, I, I think you must sit down as parliament as proposed by the deputy minister to see what must happen to 2024. And I can assure you, we have tried our best, even in the choice of a system, to make sure that we need 2024. Uh, 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 the issue of was clarified. Uh, go yeah, to the previous presentation. No, go to the previous presentation that I've made you realize that all these issues about the region, uh, uh, whether independents are given enough competition are there. I want to finish, Chairperson, with the discussion of votes. But Honorable, uh, I mean, Senior Counsel Butland and Honorable Deputy Minister have dealt with it. 
I'm not sure, Chairperson, I'm not sure at all <coughs> why it is raising eyebrows now. We've been doing it from the year 2000. We've been discussing votes. And, and uh, 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 senior counsel have told you why, how. And I want to add, ever since local government came into being, we've been openly discussing votes of independence. Honorable Badlender told you about the votes which we discuss of political parties. Uh, 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 in parliament, but um, I want to talk about independence. Since they came into being, once an independent wins a award, their votes don't count when we, 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 we count proportional representation to gauge who can actually win that particular uh, 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 municipality. In fact, if we're, not, if we're not discussing votes, perhaps some of the parties that are now in charge of municipalities might, in terms of proportional representation will not be would not have been. So I want to know why is it illegal? Why is it legal, I mean to say, to discard votes of independent candidates in votes? And all of a sudden, when we use the, the, the same system presently, it is found to be illegal. I, I just want to understand that. Why is there double standard? Why is it raising eyebrows when we have been doing it from the year 2000? Thank you very much. Thank you, Minister, for, for the responses. Um, Sorry, I think it will assist us, the team of uh, Parliament, as we move to the public consultation and deliberation on the matter. I'm going to invite the viewer to make comment from the uh, public, uh, from the legal uh, Parliament. I, I see the advocate want to make a comment before we invite the viewer. Sorry, Chairperson, uh, is the point of order? Yes, point of order is? Uh, Chairperson, um, just on my one question, my question was not whether the um, bill has been assessed for constitutional, uh, against constitutional muster, it's whether it has been assessed against the uh, constitutional court judgment and whether it satisfies the requirements of the constitutional court judgment. Okay. I think Sivio will clarify that when he deals with the issues that we raise, which are related to the uh, uh, parliamentary legal services. I'm going to invite the advocate to make comment. I see your hand, the advocate. Recognize. Thank you. Thank you. And I apologize for interjecting, Chair. Just I wanted, I misspoke. I said that it'd be, I had discussed it with the parliamentary legal services. That is not correct. I had discussed it with the Office of the Chief State Law Advisor. Uh, and I had discussed it with the Office of the Chief State Law Advisor, both with regard to constitutionality and with regard to the issue raised by Honorable Roos, which is, does it pass muster under the constitutional court judgment? So that addresses his last question. But if I was understood as saying that I discussed it with the parliamentary legal services, uh, who I know well and respect greatly, that was not the accurate impression, and I apologize if I misspoke. No, Ted, thank you very much. Uh, Advocate, Sivio. Thank you very much, Chairperson, and good morning to the members. Yes, if you can, you a bit. Uh, you're not properly audible. If you can increase your. Okay, let, let me try again, Chairperson. Is it better now? Yeah, it's better now. It's better now. Uh, if uh, members, you don't, we don't hear him. You will indicate so that we advise. But I think you can proceed. Uh, good, good morning, Chairperson, and to the honourable members and colleagues that are on the platform. Chairperson, there are just two points we would like to comment on at this moment. 
there is a lot that has been said which we consider to be policy considerations and we will be very reluctant at this stage to 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 enter that 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 space because that's for the committee to consider but we would like to speak on two issues one being the issue of the constitutionality that has been raised and again we will enter that rather cautiously because there is still a public participation process that has to be followed by parliament so we wouldn't want to make any definitive uh, determinations in that before that public participation process has been concluded but in our assessment of the bill as introduced and in the advice that we have given to the joint tagging mechanism our conclusion was that there is nothing manifestly unconstitutional about the bill as introduced but of course we are very mindful chairperson of the nature of public participation people are going to come back to parliament make suggestions make criticisms and these are the criticisms that we need to consider as parliament with an open mind and if there is any suggestion at any particular point that there may be areas of unconstitutionality and they have to be considered at that time and we will give advice at that particular issue uh, there is a second issue chair like i said which is the issue of um, the public participation itself and i will limit myself really to the issue of the committee making the assessment between now and the 10th of june you have just under 5 months it is for the committee to make an assessment and determine that if we have to engage in public participation and maybe i need to qualify that meaningful public participation is that sufficient time for the committee for the, both this committee and the ncop to be able to deal with the bill and pass it and comply with the standard of meaningful meaningful public participation and our advice as the legal services will be if there has to be any application for extension it has to be done at the earliest possible time and this may be the time if the committee is satisfied right now that it will not have enough time and the ncop will not have time so this may be the right time so that we are not seen to be lax in how we are approaching the constitutional court in the previous judgments where we had approached the constitutional court the issue was always that an extension is not there for the taking it must be motivated it must be substantiated and the sooner you realize the danger of you not complying with the court order the better for you to approach the court in good time because that helps to demonstrate your bona fides in terms of your application as to how the court will deal with the issue once it has that application is a different matter but that will be our advice that the sooner the better once the committee has made an assessment that it's impossible it should be done quicker thank you very much chair this moment will limit us to those two points <clears throat> thank you very much uh if we are comment and advice which the committee will deliberate and take it forward 
I must thank the minister and advocate on this item that they've worked hard to make sure that finally the committee begins with the process of interacting with this uh, presentation, this bill. We'll know or recall uh, members that uh, there are two areas where contributed to the delays uh, of this uh, of this bill one um, the past two years we have been um, affected by the covid-19 as all of us know and we are passive to the uh, interface with the with, with the bill and secondly we are confronted with the local government elections which also contributed to the uh, to the processing of the bill but given also this environment the advocate and the minister has worked so hard so that we attempt or we meet the constitutional court judgment uh, time uh, period. In this case, that we are recommitting ourselves that parliament must be uh, responsible to ensure that we comply with the constitutional court, uh, court judgment. We allow residents, uh, those independent, to participate in both provincial and national, uh, and, and assembly, national assembly. It is with this background that the CVO, your last comment, will able to guide the committee as we make a, a clear assessment on how we must uh, respond or give notice to request an, an, an extension. Because we will need a broader consultation with stakeholders and our people that must guide the finality to this, uh, uh, to this bill. And that is a commitment the committee will uh, carry uh, that public public participation must able to um, 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 sort to ground um, a submission from members' consultation and correctly saying that they're going to critique the bill and must allow that space uh, to continue that. At finality, when the committee conclude this process, we're able to give a fair process uh, to parliament and for the parliament to consider in line with the constitutional court judgment. We will interact with the parliamentary legal service uh, post this uh, committee. And once we've deliberated, deliberated on the issue next week, to advise the committee, uh, the, the legal service, to consider, uh, given the program of action that uh, we'll be uh, designing, which, uh, we'll request uh, Mr. Matonsi to develop a program of action in terms of the public uh, consultation. And I, I'm, I'm, you, are, you are carefully raising that meaningful public participation that will ensure that our people and stakeholders participate on this uh, on this process will then allow the uh, 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 the item to be uh, to, to be closed as such will interact in the next meeting will request mr matons and the legal team once we've interacted with them to present a, 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 a program of the public uh, participation. You know that we've already issued an uh, invitation for comments for submission as has been highlighted to the, uh, to the meeting. Members are agreeing that uh, it would be important uh, that we extend public participation who are guided uh, by our people in terms of the options that have been presented here. Um, the cabinet have taken uh, a view that uh, uh, option one uh, is the most workable one to respond to the constitutional court judgment, but will, in essence, um, await the public comments, deliberation from the committee, 
And at that particular time, once we're able to have guidance, we'll then able to present to, the, to parliament on the options that uh, we must uh, take at this level. We'll receive both options as the, 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 the minister has presented, subject them to the consultation process and engagement to our people. I want to thank honorable members on this item particularly, that it will need our collective uh, strength and focus to make sure that uh, we, 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 work, we, we comply uh, uh, and satisfy the constitution of the Republic in terms of the process we're going to enter into. Minister Arun Zoled, I'm going to invite you to make comment on the uh, Minister Lukota, sorry, on the veteran Lukota um, private members bill has been requested. Just to also highlight because this process we've just stand off it has disempowered it members of the of the parliament of, of the committee and the, those that are participating to understand the process that has been unfolded. And I think it would be important that also you comment on the on the on the on the bill, private members bill that Minister uh, uh, Veteran Lakota has presented to the committee. I don't know why I'm calling uh, um, always calling him uh, uh, Minister Veteran Lakota. Uh, Minister Mzolid. Thank you, Honorable Chavan. You're not far off. He was a minister at some stage for a long time. So it's, it's, yeah, it's not far-fetched. Uh, Chairperson, I am presenting the comparison between our bill and the bill offered by a veteran reporter. And I'm, I'm happy that he's present within the space where I go wrong. Uh, obviously, he'll correct me. But this is... I'm presenting this from our point of view, from the way we understand what he has presented. You still, as a committee, have to scrutinize it where you'll come and explain uh, for himself. But from our point of view, uh, as you can see on the screen, the, the first thing uh, is that uh, in the Home Affairs Bill, we are simply doing what the Constitutional Court has said to accommodate uh, independence with very little changes to the to the uh, uh, to 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 the eggs. Uh, but if you look at the bill presented by Honorable Lukota, it does not only amend the Electoral Act 7319, I mean Electoral Act, Act number 73 of 1998, as instructed by the Kushnal Court, it will also want to amend the Electoral Commission's Act 1996. The Electoral Commission's Act 1996 is the founding act of the IEC. In other words, the bill as presented by Honorable Lukota will change the law under which IEC was established and change the structure of the IEC itself. That is the first thing. Uh, now, the Constitutional Court judgment, the New Nation Movement versus uh, uh, President and others, <clears throat> was based on Section 18 and Section 19 of the Constitution, if you remember. Uh, but we are actually dealing with that. But if you look at the bill from Honorable Lukota, it attempts to change the whole electoral system from a closed list proportional representation to an open list. If I'm not mistaken, if I have to, to, to I mean, to explain and uh, unpack what it actually means. A closed list party system is the one we are using today from political parties. An open list is where political parties come with name, but during election, members of the public are 
have got the right to, to reorder the names if on the proportional, uh, on the close list of a political party, uh, Aaron Mutuale is number one, the voters can go and make him number 100 in terms of their votes. That's what it's mean by an open list, where voters have got the choice by, by choosing between members of a particular political party who they prefer over the other, even if the political party has put their picking order. So, uh, 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 so the bill is more about general electoral reform as far as we are concerned. Point number one, three, that the Home Affairs Bill targets the crucial problem raised in the new nation movement. And it does so, we are just being precise and say, the court says, please change this, and we are doing so, uh, to accommodate an independent candidate. Uh, if you move to point number two, uh, that the, 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 the central difference has a significant implication which is what a question asked by uh, Honorable Moleko. Uh, the, the bill presented by Honorable Rukota will require the commission to split the country into 52 constituencies, if not more, but the 52 corresponds more or less with the district. Uh, at least that's what they are proposing. Uh, now, this is the task that the commission is not presently doing. Uh, the, 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 the IEC is not doing that. The municipal demarcation board is only empowered or authorized by law to demarcate municipalities for local government elections. So if we must divide the country into constituencies, and, and we believe that's why the Honorable Lukotas bill wants to change the IEC as it is and change the, 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 finding, the founding act of the IEC, because we have got to find the structure that must produce demarcation. Uh, point number 2.2, under the Honorable Bill for the National Assembly, six-sevenths of the seats will be filled by names submitted by political parties and independent candidates. The remaining one-seventh of uh, 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 will be filled from political party lists. The Department of Home Affairs Bill uses the three-round uh, allocation system. As you, no. you remember, I presented... Chairperson, was I stopped or what? No, I think there's uh, other members. Can we mute our? Sorry, Minister, for that disturbance. Can you yeah. pass it? Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, yeah, so where you are aware that on the 7th of December, we have presented that seat will be allocated in two tranches. But here, this is not the case. On point two point three, the Honorable Court, that bill does not contain three round system of allocation. Uh, because on uh, item 15 of Schedule 1A of the bill presented, it is contemplating allowing independent candidates to award their surplus or unusable vote. Each age bill, as we've already said, is that like is the practice now, like is the practice internationally, once an independent candidate reaches a threshold, there is no more, the, uh, the, their votes are, are no longer of any use, and that's why they get discarded. On section 3.4, the Department of Home Affairs does not require independent countries to register first with the commission before they are nominated. But uh, the, the Honorable Lekota Bill, in contrast, in section 15A, will require independent candidates to register with the commission and then be nominated uh, before the election. 
We believe this creates an extra hurdle, which an independent candidate will have to go over, and we believe it may undermine uh, their, their good intention because their bill obviously has got good intention on independent candidate. But unfortunately, we believe this particular requirement that they must register with the IEC first will do that, but it will also add an, a large administrative burden to, to the IEC itself. Uh, now, the similarities, there are two similarities between the Department of Home Affairs bill. They are on, 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 on uh, item number three. Uh, 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 yeah, item number three are the similarities. There are only two. Similarity number one is that the Honorable that bill proposed that we return the current formula for determining the, the court of votes per seat which is the same as the Department of Health bill. That's what exactly we are saying uh, in the Department of Health bill. We are, we are saying there must be a, a droop formula. You remember the droop formula is formula you apply to political parties. After you have referred the same as us in that regard. Then the second thing on the Lokota bill, Item 24, subsection 4 of the Lugoda Bill has the same approach as the Department of Home Affairs Bill, that the vacancy of an independent candidate will remain unfilled until the next election. I'm not sure why today he has asked uh, this question, because it's on his bill, maybe he might be able to explain exactly what it meant, but we interpreted it to be meaning they, they can't be, and we are insisting to Even if we went uh, 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 to the second option, uh, 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 I'm sure it, it will still be a... Mal uh, they are still talking about the multi-party constituency. Even in the Lukota bill, it's a multi-party constituency because it's a district. So the main difference between his bill and the Home Affairs bill is Home Affairs, the constituency is the province, they said it's a district. But none of the bills are talking about small constituency like the odds. There's no bill at the present moment put in front of parliament that says that. Now, our small criticism, or, or let me not say criticism, but uh, rather a, a critique of the Lukota uh, bill uh, is that, uh, firstly, the bill proposed wide-ranging substantive amendment to the electoral system, as well as the Electoral Commission Act. And we believe that is a lot of work. And if we do that, uh, let's forget about 2024. The current legislative process is to ensure that we comply with the new uh, nation movement judgment, the constitutional court judgment. And we've got the deadline that has been imposed. If we want to meet that deadline, going to change the, starting from changing the IEC structure itself, let's understand and accept that it will take a long time. Uh, we, we believe the constitutional court may grant that extension, not to finalize the act by June, but we don't think they will give us an ex extension that we must go through 2024 elections without any independence. I'm not sure whether that will be allowed, but if we are looking at the Lokota bill, it's going to lead us to that. That by 2024, there's no way we'll have finished what we want to do. We, we believe it's not impossible, but it's extremely difficult. I can't say it's impossible, but I'll say it's extremely difficult. Let's move to uh, point number six. 
yeah, this is uh, the issue of, of transferring surplus votes as an award. It has been debated thoroughly today. We have given our reasons. We believe uh, this is a backdoor way of coming through to a political party by donating your vote to somebody else uh, because you happen to be having common views. Then if you have got common views, why don't you just form a political party right away because the, the, the rules allow. And if you donate your votes to a particular political party, which already exists, why avoid joining it, but you think it's, they are good enough to have the votes from your voters? And lastly, why would the voters agree uh, that they vote for you and your party are given to somebody else who they chose not to vote for? So those are the problems that we are having. Thirdly, on number seven, section 15B of the Luguada Bill will impose additional obligations on independent candidates in respect of uh, registration. I think I've already mentioned that. Maybe, uh, and we also believe section 15A on, on, on uh, if you move to 7-1. Yes. We also believe the section they implies that the candidate, the independent candidate will have to renew their registration every year, also exacerbating the problems of the IEC. Uh, Chairperson, I think, let me stop there. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, <clears throat> Minister, for the critique to the observation on the weaknesses that are arising from the private members' bill presented by Honorable Lugota. And I think I would advise that uh, you uh, you delete that heading, uh, criticizing, uh, as you are really affirming that you you are attempting to critique or to ob make observations I on key agree. areas. That, uh, 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 we thank you for uh, for making that uh, the deliberations. Uh, Agreed. Yes, yes. I'm going to invite Honorable Lukota if there's a comment, because we're going to subject these deliberations uh, by the committee in the next uh, uh, committee meeting, so that we are able to take through uh, uh, how uh, uh, both the advocate, the minister, and this uh, critique. Members have gone through the uh, uh, the bills, these two bills that have presented the committee, and also we did receive a presentation to that effect from Honorable Lukota in uh, uh, the executive bill that has been presented in table in parliament on the on the 10th of January 2022. We're going to invite, if uh, Honorable Lakota wants to make a comment, um, uh, if he doesn't want to make a comment, we'll make contributions in our next committee meeting when the committee is going to deliberate on the issues as we move forward. Uh, thank you, Comrade Chairperson. I, I can you hear me, Chairperson? Hello. I believe the Chairperson is having connection difficulties, Honourable Lakota. The Chairperson is what? Uh, connection difficulties. Oh, well, we can hear you. Oh, you can hear me. Thank you. No, I, I just wanted to say that. I'm very grateful for the feedback that uh, the minister has just presented to all of us. And so I will reserve my response at this present time. I'd like to report back to our party. And then uh, in the next meeting, if there's anything, I will then indicate and then I can 
put forward. But at the present time, I have nothing to to say back to to the minister. Thank you. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yes. Honorable Gota, we can hear you very well. No, thanks. Yeah. You, you heard everything I said, sir. Yes, no, we heard everything you have said, and I agree with you already. That's why I agreed to throw the word criticism and set this rather review yes. of what you have said, and I want a live debate on that one. No, thanks. Thank you. So the apology we have load shedding here, so we've been disrupted. Uh, I'm not sure whether uh, uh, Honorable Fender Melve, whether Mr. Lukuta, Honorable Lukuta did take a platform or not. Can I establish that? Yes, Chairperson. Um, Honorable Lukuta has responded to the minister um, and he said he would preserve judgment and get back to us. Okay. Thank you, Chair. Then thanks very much, uh, Honorable <laughs> For an uh, apology, members, it's under our beyond our control. The, the low shading. Um, we're going to end up the two items as such. We've made the summary in our first uh, item presented by advocate and the minister, and uh, we've received the comment of Muma First Minister on the issues arising from the honourable reporters. Uh, and we're going to interact with this uh, process in our next uh, meeting. Can I establish Mr. Matonsi in this an announcement? Chairperson, uh, no, there's no announcement, Chairperson. Okay. There's no announcement, uh, members. I uh, want to thank you. Thanks, Minister. Thanks, Advocate. Thanks, Honorable Members uh, and Honorable uh, Melda for joining the, uh, the committee meeting. And thanks, uh, Commissioner Love, with your team, the entire staff component of Parliament, the legal team, um, and the team that have uh, been brought by the minister. We want to take this opportunity that this hard work we have demonstrated uh, at a difficult space uh, for the past uh, year uh, with the intention to comply to the uh, consumer court judgment. We'll make sure that we recommit ourselves as a collective that uh, we indeed get to the ground, interact with our people, so that ultimately we have a decision on, the, on this uh, process of the bill. I want to take this opportunity to thank you and the meeting stand agent. Uh, Chairperson, sorry, just before we go, um, just to indicate there was one more item left on the on the agenda, which was the discussion of the motion of desirability on Honorable Lakota's bill. But we've, uh, as we discussed before, we will allow more time for consultation so we can discuss this in the following meeting, along with questions of extension and uh, possible um, provincial public consultations. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. I think what, what we discuss, Honorable Adams, around that point, you are part of the meeting with the with the chair and the and the secretary of the committee. Um, uh, uh, and I'm not sure how I, how are you attempting to uh, to advise the meeting to do because there's a there's a decision on that matter, and we're advising ourselves and the team that uh, we're going to deliberate on the issues. In our next, uh, in our next, in our next meeting. Noted, noted, chair. Thanks, members. Uh, the meeting is ended.
Thank you, colleagues. Bye. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, honorable Thank members. Thank you, Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.